Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Jana Byers, your host, and we're here today with Anke Gillier, a professor of modern German literature at KU Leuven, to talk about her new edited volume, Strategic Imaginations, Women and the Gender of Sovereignty in European Culture, out last year, that's 2020, with Leuven University Press. Hello, Anke. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Jana. Pleased to meet you. And I'm, I'm very happy to be able to uh, talk about the book with you. Ah, wonderful. So, hey, uh, are you snowed in down there? Do you have snow? We do have snow. Um, and uh, for this part of the world, quite a lot of snow and ice cold temperatures. But <laughs> the sun is out, which is nice, considering that yeah. it's been raining for months now. Oh, months. It's just been endless. Yeah. yeah. And I cycle um, yeah. a lot, so oh, I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, I have I tried to cycle to the grocery yesterday and I just walked instead. It is too icy for me on yeah. my bike. It's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice, though. Everyone's skating. It's Everyone's very happy. There's something about, you know, that first bit of winter that brings out the child in everyone, I think. Yeah. Especially when it's sunny, you know, the light, it does something to a person. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so I want to get into this book. But before we start with the book itself, I want to talk about how it fits into your intellectual path. So uh, your CV is long and full. (laughs) Very (laughs) congratulations. You have done so much work. Um, And it's full of entries in many languages, uh, and it seems rather like it seems rather broad, and I think at first glance a bit eclectic. But you know, okay, so let's start with your dissertation, uh, which became your monograph, and that's on Johanna Schopenhauer. Yes, um, read kind of alongside and through Pierre Bourdieu, in which you explore mechanisms of power and the symbolic importance of those mechanisms. And then you kind of you take on these women who ought to be more famous than they are. Therese Hubert, Carolyn Pickler, Rosa Luxemburg, personal favorite of mine, Margaret Sussman. And they they span uh, the late 18th through the early 20th century. Um, And how would you characterize this work? Is there, uh, I mean, it seems to me an ongoing concern with underappreciated female intellectuals. I can. I think that that is the. Um, I think you hit the core of of my of what I'm doing. Of, of what I what interests me. Um, it's interesting that you say eclectic because I have to indeed. Um, I, my 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 period of interest is uh, spans indeed from the late. 18th century to the first half of the 20th century, which is a long period, and you cannot be specific about you know such a long period, but it's mm-hmm. modern modernity actually. And what interests me is is as a literary scholar, but in extent also as a, as a scholar of cultural history, um, is is women, um, f- women uh, female protagonists in uh, modern culture, um, um, imagined women, um, women as writers, but fictional women also because 
um, um, you know, fictional characters uh, can have an enormous have had an enormous impact on material reality, on on, on real history, historical situations, and 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 gender um, and gender patterns uh, more than we sometimes imagine. You can think of you know. Uh, a character like uh, Julie from uh, Rousseau's uh, novel uh, La Nouvelle Héloïse, this this um, this this emotional young woman, uh, morally upright, uh, trustworthy, beautiful, the uh, a good daughter to her family and her father, and a good wife to her husband. This model, this Julie, has, for example, been of enormous importance. Had had an enormous impact on on the gender identity, on on, on the idea of woman. Hood in in Europe, European bourgeois culture, so I'm interested in 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 female protagonists, in uh, women writers, women intellectuals, women politicians, women thinkers, uh, women artists, also, and the way they functioned, the way they uh, worked in contexts that had, um, yeah, I would put it simply prejudices, but that had. Pattern ideas, gendered ideas of what women were capable of doing, um, very much influenced by certain, uh, by the imagination, of course, by imagined women and how they managed, how they produced literature, how they try to struggle f- to come to certain authority, uh, mm-hmm. symbolic authority in the in their in their fields. Um, and I'm very interested in how they did, how they what they wrote, and also um, how they time and again slipped into oblivion um mm-hmm. mm. well, so that's my real interest I'm, I'm really interested in women's history and that sounds now that i'm saying it it sounds horribly old-fashioned probably <laughs> but there's still so much work to do and um it's very interesting to see how they try to how they try to manage how they functioned how they um and that doesn't make all these women heroines or whatever you know but mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see how it mm-hmm. went about, or try to get a grip of that, try to understand. Yeah, I mean, and and the category of woman is one that we're interrogating in gender, and you know, we're having a very different conversation about gender now than we've ever had before. But it is an obsession <laughs> with these women. Um, you know, it's it's their primary line of um, of identification, right? The, it is the thing that they have to navigate. So it's where like the conversation that we have to have as historians can be very different uh, from the conversation as historians or literary historians that we have with um, our modern gender studies colleagues. Yes, it's it's they are you know we we, we, we can't um, you can't just project. I mean, gender the way we gender as a, as a as an element in in the um, in what makes a subject gender as as a, as a, a kind of um, uh, an important um, the way we see or look at gender or the, the things that make a gendered identity in in modern life in in contemporary um, ideas of Id- identity and subjectivity are very different from um, you know from the past and you can't just project um, mm-hmm. ideas of uh, contemporary gender mm-hmm. ideas into the past and say and and try to see how 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 it functioned, you know, trying to understand by by, you know, just looking through a modern lens. No, not at all. I mean, but, and it's very women are embodied, you know, in this very clear way that we're kind of projecting right now. But what what does uh, what what does what remains very interesting, Yana, if I may, um, is that 
of course, by looking at just you modern contemporary gender theories in all their complexity and and taking into account so many aspects um, that you might not think of in a historical context, it is interesting to be inspired by that and to look at the past and to still see things that you might not see um, Mm -hmm. without the awareness of, you know, without the theoretical awareness of, or without the awareness of our modern way of thinking. So you should be aware of projecting identities onto the past, but, you know, it can be very inspiring to look at it in a bit of, to do, read a bit against the grain and and do a bit Mm -hmm. of querying um, Mm -hmm. um, from a contemporary perspective. That is interesting too. Yeah. And very useful. Uh, uh, Yeah. And it's just adds this level of complexity and nuance that we're looking for. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I get, I I see what you're doing and I think this makes sense to me, but explain it to, uh, let's, I want to ask you anyway. So let's put this book in that story. What did you want this book to do? Like what hole in the scholarship was it meant to fill? Okay. How did you come to do this? Um, so I have read, researched, and written a lot on on historical women, um, be it in the field of literature or culture mainly, um, on gendered imagination, um, on gender as um, an ideology or gender in ideology, you know, um, in, in the broadest sense of the world, not only ideology as a, as a political theory that is being sold as the natural state of things but you know just uh, ways of thinking normality and what how 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 the world should be so ideology in the widest sense of the world and the gendered nature of that and it, this sounds very naive but once you try to figure out how norm how perceiving the world as normal um, is um, once you become aware of that and once you start thinking about all these mechanisms and the, the rhetoric and the words that we use to to perceive reality and to look at the world and men and women, then um, you know, there is an amazing consistency of excluding women from everything that has to do with authority. Um, and whether it's in, in, in let, let's say, the cultural field, authority, symbolic authority as a writer who whose work is quality and whose work should be respected and whose work is evidently the kind of the of the part of the canon, or when they're in the political field, everything that's related to authority there, dealing with matters of state and, and state affairs, there is an amazing consistency in the way women are excluded from that. And that is something that intrigued me. And it, and as I mentioned before, also um, this this proximity, this very interesting, at times ominous and disturbing, but very interesting proximity of imagined of imagination um, on the one hand, and and politics, authority on the other, um, and the position of women in that. Um, so, and that's why this book is not it's partly historical it's partly historiography and it's partly about literary texts and um you would say well this is two different disciplines but what since all everything you know the core element is women in the field of politics but it has a lot to do with imagination um projections of women in situations of power the uh, consistent exclusion of women from centers of power and that is just fascinating and i come from literature and i and it just it's it naturally flows over into historical reality or the history uh with real politicians real sovereigns there's a there's a fascinating proximity especially what 
as far as women are concerned, women in power, they are they generate wild imaginations. And I don't know. And it's interesting to see why. Why is there such a problem with um, women and authority? Why? What is so? What is? What kind of anxiety is at play from the beginnings of our political thinking until the present day? Mm-hmm. And I don't have an answer to that. But it was. It's fascinating to see their, the continuity. Mm-hmm. That was something I wanted to perceive, mm-hmm. or, or that was something I not perceived. That was something I, let's say, I. I I wanted to show by opening up a wide horizon, historical horizon, and and by putting next to each other case studies that each in in you know each in their own way mm-hmm. and paying attention to a particular context kind of show women struggling for power or being excluded from power. Um, this, does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and it goes to I think partially to answering my next question which is, I want to talk about how this book has such a very broad scope. I mean, temporally, it's huge, right? Yes. We start with a couple 12th century, 12th century chapters, Eleanor of Aquitaine, which I, I just don't know how you do a power, historical women in power book without her. Um, and then one on female sovereignty in German romances. And it goes all the way up to suffrage. Okay, so there's like temporally, but it's also broad in these other ways. Um, it, spatially, we, Princess Char- Charlotte of Wales, um, Marie Casimir d'Arquin, who was French but ruled in Poland. There's another chapter on early modern Spain. Um, and so, as just these examples show, the source material, I mean, as well, is broad, and the sorts of women under discussion are broad or equally diverse. You have all these case studies, and you could have limited it in any number of ways. Um, yes. But you went for this really big picture. And I'm, I'm curious about your decision to do that. Was it so that you could talk about the long durée? Yes, it was. It's I, I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, this this isn't self-evident to kind of and it's the advantage of not being a historian is that um, you can, you know, you can you're less bothered by this strict disciplinary, um, <laughs> let's say, uh, um, uh, rules of, you know, committing yourself to a certain period and, and, and being um, you know, uh, paying a lot of attention to, to the complexities of contexts, which is not denied here. But I think the my idea was I would have, you know, it's it's stuck to the European context. That is clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah. I, it's limited really to 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 European culture. So um, that that is um, because that's the, that's the culture I know best. So, mm-hmm. but apart from that, indeed, there is a huge historical scope and. Um, but the bottom line is indeed you, you, the word I used is is, is borrowed, of course. Um, the, it's the longer durée. It's this. It's my my stubborn con- conviction that, in spite of very different, con- you know, contexts and, and 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 cultures and periods, there is something. There is this. Re- there's a repetitive. There is a cycle of, of, of women and and this 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 awkwardness of women and power there is this um i think all throughout european history there is a let's say put it to put it simply a, a problem there is a hostility to women in positions of power and whether sovereignty or power is uh, explained in theological terms in terms or whether it's more pragmatic in 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 a 
it's inspired more by a, a pragmatic uh, ideas of, of politics and, uh, and and power, such as in, in James Hobbes, um, um, Thomas Hobbes, excuse me, or whether it's democratic, um, whatever. Oh, there's a for, there's a kind of forever appearing mechanism of of women seeing women in power as a, as a as a as an awkward is, is an awkward situation. And um, there's been a lot of interesting and detailed research. Uh, historians like uh, Elana Woodacre or Teresa Ehrenfeit. I mean, they've, they've done beautiful work on 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 making close case studies or making case studies very convincing case studies of certain queens and sovereigns and and analyzing all the mechanisms of their games of power. And and I'm I'm taking a few steps back, nonetheless. In spite of the fact that women have been in power, of course, throughout European mm-hmm. history, taking a few steps back, you see that wherever you look and how, no matter how powerful the woman in question in a certain period is, there is something, there is this idea of exceptionalism. There is this idea of, um, at best, we have to settle for the situation because there is a female sovereign now and there is no other solution. But there seems to be always the idea because there is no other solution. There is... Um, the sense that women and power just don't belong together. And you see that appear that everywhere, no matter what philosophical or theological or psychological explanation um, there is, or there seems to be, there is. And, and I know that there in, in um, I know that there's um, the idea of women in power as an exception is something that is, of course, that is uh, debated by, by historians uh, who, or by uh, queen studies um, who you, who, who will say that women in power? Well, this is what happens, and and it shouldn't be considered as an exception. And as a modern projection to look at it that way. But you know, even if you you there, the sense of mm-hmm. exception it seems to be everywhere. And I mm-hmm. think I wanted to show that. Yeah, I, I love that term. A stubborn conviction is such a great way uh, to to term this. And you know, uh, you, this book makes that argument. Um, you can see very clearly, uh, so the books, the work is bookended pretty well with your introduction on gender sovereignty and imagination. And then Marnix, Marnix Bayan's concluding chapter, Discourses of Sovereignty as an Obstacle to Women's Suffrage, question mark. Um, and like all the way through, you problematize what we think we know about gender and power, but, oh, and your authors do as well. Um, but we do see this this uh, this strain that goes through the idea that women are in power because there's no better option, um, and that there's this problem, and that if they they often gained power through illegitimate means. Um, so you do see across like this huge time, like medieval and early modern into the modern era in Europe, that very thing, this hostility to women in positions of power. It's it's um it's something you know, Jana, Once you become aware of it, you start seeing it everywhere. Um and and um and you you do I mean you do respect the context. You do respect that conceptions of sovereignty change over time. That women are part of or women sovereigns are part of dyna- dynastic systems and dynastic systems have their own mechanisms of power. And but whatever system is working, there is the sense that well. Um, women um, uh, in power is is something that is provisional, um, something that um, um, 
yeah, even if it matches well in the in the dynastic system, and but it's it's something that you know at best um, can be tolerated, or we should work and live with it, um, and hence build a lot of propaganda around it because it stabilizes power. But it's it's always somehow or other it's it remains somewhat exceptional no matter mm-hmm. how big the propaganda is and it there is a if i may there is a, a very very interesting study by a by a, a historian called louis montrose and he wrote a book on um the subject of elizabeth you know, which has been written a lot about elizabeth the mm-hmm. first you know so much she doesn't figure in the book in fact but um um, where he says at some point there's a detail in his study he he, he analyzes the whole culture and pr- what you would call it now simpl- simplistically propaganda machine around her queenship um, and she's she's become a symbol of power of course but there is a, a detail when he remarks that in spite of the whole arcane um, and, and eclectic artful um, um, uh, machine surrounding her queenship, convincing people of her being the rightful queen in England. In spite of that, there is a detail when he says, um, you know, you're, you're in spite of the whole um, 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 queenship, uh, um, um, yeah, well, propaganda or so that, you know, that the basic Englishman would say, but the queen is but a woman, you know, in spite mm-hmm. of everything, the queen is but a woman. And I, I kind of picked that up and I thought, I think that is, part of this pattern, this cycle of women in power, you know, the queen is but a woman. And it's something uh, I, you see appear everywhere. Mm-hmm. In, even in, in, you know, even when um, there is a, a whole discourse of the good prince in Renaissance Europe, um, about a good prince being also, you know, having feminine qualities and a female prince is something provisional and something you live with at best, but then should be overcome to come back to normality. Well, and it's not as if this has gone away, right? It's not, it, I mean, like we could definitely take this analysis into, you know, 2016 in, as in my country, um, you know, and there's, there, there is this hostility and there, there's just a different way that women are viewed and the, the story that if you, that an Angela Merkel has to tell, right? Or Yes, I, I think so. And, and no matter how, well things work and how how uh stable things are in in matters of states uh with a women ruler there is this what i say what i call what call awkwardness this you know we we mm-hmm. need to deal with this you they mm-hmm. it needs to be dealt with yeah this is definitely not the default so how do we handle no, this that's right that's yeah that's a good word the def- it's not default and of course reality and dynasties and whatever plays in politics has brought women to situations of power but my my idea is they, it had to be dealt with mm-hmm. yeah uh, and, and very good um so i kind of was thinking we would talk about the progress narrative but i think we've, we've managed that uh, yeah but still <laughs> <laughs> but so i also there's another kind of i think conception in uh in a popular conception about uh, about the separation of, of, of gender and power, mm-hmm. that there is this the public private situation, right? Like that there's a uh, there's a public sphere, male, private sphere, female, and um, and never the twain shall meet. But we're comfortable with we're comfortable with one, we're uncomfortable with another, and I feel like you, this work kind of problematizes that as well. Yes, this this. Um... This separation of private and public is is very much what characterizes um, modern 
um, modernity, I'd say, and 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 modern conceptions of power. Where, and it's uh, it's still you know it's a lot of interesting research has been done, and I might sound endlessly naive to be still amazed by that. Also, that at the period when um, there is this conception of, of of the modern subject as man man being equal to others, being a free agent aware of themselves and 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 the, the translation of that into becoming a citizen a free citizen of a state um, at that very moment women are more excluded than ever um, because there is no there is no dy- dynastic mechanisms that that still uh, propel them into places of power there is they are reduced to the private sphere at the very moment late 18th century at the very moment that there is this idea of uh, any subject being an autonomous person or any person being an autonomous autonomous subject and hence being a citizen, a free citizen of the state that can participate in politics at that very moment. And this is what Magnix's um, 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 chapter also analyzes. Women are excluded from politics and they're only included. And I think that's beautiful in his in his analysis. They're only included when needed, when uh, when there is a when the women are needed to become part of a national strife or become part of a, this or that political movement. But this exclusion of women, they're they're being banned into the private sphere. And if they should be interested in politics, then at best they can do that via their private sphere and sphere of influence. Mm. But their exclusion from politics is. I'm still, you know, it's been, you know, so much interesting research on on the the the, the gender of the French Revolution, but you still wonder what what is it? Why was that so? And why did it took an, why did it take another two hundred years before women then could participate in politics? And the interesting thing is in literature, and I think that in in literary texts, for example, and I think that's the example with which I start my 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 introduction is that. Um, let's say feminist thinkers or liberal women thinkers who want to partake participate in politics in the late 19th century they have no model to mm-hmm. to refer to they have no model of um female politicians female power of sovereignty and um this 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 writer i refer to emily bolter who is a liberal thinker and a feminist that in germany at the late in the late 19th century she writes this biographical novel on um an aristocratic um a prince on a princess anna and maria antonia electress of saxony who comes from a from a from a political system they don't want anymore at the end of the 19th century that no one wants to return well let's say majority of people doesn't want to return to this kind of autocratic system dynastic system mm-hmm. but still she she's a liberal thinker and she writes a novel about this princess with enormous political capacities and a very strategic mind and um in in a political system that no one wants and and i think that can be explained not because she's a conservative thinker but she she's reaching out to Figures, historical figures that might set some example of the idea that women can be part of politics, can do have a political brain, which which is fundamentally a, quest, a question: Can women contemplate these matters of state, or you know, some ludicrous things might happen? Their brains could melt, or what have you. Yeah, they, or they're by evolution they're hardwired to just nurture, you know, kids and not think in terms of. Um, nationwide or at best as mothers or so that is um can i say that here horrible but okay but it's it's not plausible (laughs) so i'm I'm looking into how it functions that people think that way 
Um, it, 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 that is also these bio, the idea that um, thinking too hard will render women uh, uh, barren is, for instance. Just, yes, okay. it's counter nature that they should, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the idea that a head of state, a female head of state is named a mother um, is also something fairly modern. Um, so it's it's this uh, in the in the surviving surviving ancient sovereign systems in or the sovereign systems that have still have queens and um, in spite of uh, moving towards democracy, then you would the, the word mother of the nation then will appear, and that's one way of compensating the idea that mm-hmm. you know how you could you know, how you can deal with uh, a female sovereign. Well, that's when you call her a mother. Then at least that sounds familiar. Right, that that fits. Then at least we understand what she's supposed to be doing there, um, and and that goes, you know, for every level. Like why why female children can be excluded from the dynastic line, all the way down to the debate of you know as this as your volume ends, the debate about suffrage in the late nineteenth, early twentieth yeah. century, all the way through the twentieth century. Actually, um, that women are just simply don't have the brain for it. Um, it'll t- it'll remove their power. That then the walls will crack, you know, will crumble between the public and private sphere, and women will have no sphere of authority. Yes, I think a very um, an interesting. Um, it's anecdotal, but at the same time, it's very representative. It's a kind of median for the assumption that uh, female rule is abnormal, and hence participation in the political system, even in in terms of suffrage. It would also be a problem is is a German philosopher Hegel who um, who you know ad- addresses the issue of female sovereignty on on various occasions in his work and in uh, the phenomenology of the spirit he he there's also a remark that he says women at the head of state will will bring um, the ruin to the state because they can only think in terms of private matters they 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 do not think in, in, in these uh, grand terms, in these transcendental terms of the progress of history, they are very limited to their own moral and, and uh, yeah, private concerns. And this is why women cannot be um, ruling, can't rule the state, mm-hmm. because they just don't think in the right way. Right, abnormal and unnatural, and of it's course it's unnatural, it, and they are in, they jeopardize the state because mm-hmm. she they are pushed by um, immediate con- contingent problems, and their you know he will say their neigung, their their sense of feeling how it is, and and they have their private prerogatives, and that is not a way to rule a state. And I think that's the general concern of the time, eighteenth, mm-hmm. nineteenth century. Women are private creatures, and they react. Hence, they react um, in, in a limited way to things, and they mm-hmm. don't see the grander picture of things. They yeah, don't have absolutely. the strategic brain. They don't have a political brain. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, don't you I agree see, that women yeah, don't have a political brain? <laughs> are, you, are you saying no? Political brain. I, uh, um, I'm also really bad at math, and uh, yeah. I can't lift heavy things. Yeah, I know. I, I they were right. <laughs> Join the club. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry that I have been. Uh, you know, I just I feel like my this thing where I have to vote. It's overwhelming for me. Yeah. Yeah. You just need some good advice, and then things might work out well. <laughs> God knows we've got enough of that, don't we? <laughs> if I need male advice, I have so many ways to find it. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> you don't right. even have to invite it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you do not. Um, all right. So what are some of the ways we see? Um, I mean, I see we see a lot of coherence here. I I guess that's what I just want to say is I see this coherence across this whole volume. I think it's very successful. Um, and I, so I love that, you know, you've got 10 body chapters here and they're from all over. But one of the, you, uh, you see throughout this very clear picture. It, was a, it came, did this, did you know this was going to happen? Were you pleased by how this came together? Were you surprised, I guess is my question. Um, well, you see, it was, um, the book came a long way. It was, um, I, some years ago, I acquired money for a research project on um, female sovereigns in literary texts in 19th century literature because 19th century is you know this position position of transition from the ancien mm-hmm. regime towards modernism modern rule and and this this fascinating exclusion of women from modern rule and the inconsistencies and the paradoxes so it was a project it was a project that would see how in imagine imagination how in literary texts women writers especially dealt with that in fact how they how did they react at all did they reach back to the ancien regime then you know being totally contradictory to the modern movement or did they engage them so it was about that and then you know the awareness the more we read the more we read into um the position of ruling women either in in literature or but also in history the more we became aware of this of this consistent problem of women in and political rule and so we organized the conference on um, this uh, several years ago, and and we get the people coming from all, all over, from different periods and different, you know, in art history and and in literature, but also re, you know political history and and you know even in spite of the the, the very the awareness and the extremely professional approach of things and 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 the complexities of contexts and different situations, you realize listening to all these papers that indeed women and the rule of power is is a is a problem whether you were in the middle ages or whether um um you were into renaissance uh, um, uh, france or and even if there was a big discourse in certain peri- periods that um you know would would deal with women as perfect rulers and whatever you know throughout europe throughout all these cases um there was this there was the, there were these interesting studies of of women struggling for power being and and this 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 against the backdrop of this forever existing idea that women do not fit um as sovereigns women are just as sovereigns they you know they were not the default and how did it work uh, out and then um we i put we put together the volume and um asked people to kind of reflect on it mm-hmm. um and 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 so i think the in the end we there's this long, the, the story of the long durée exceptionalism. I'm, I'm, I'm careful with the term. I know certain historians don't like to use that term in related to women in power, but still the idea of the female ruler being the exception, women being aware of that and the strategies they use to, to keep power, to be in power. I think that what we came up with were very nuanced, but still consistent contributions that show that how it functions i think i think i I think um how did you choose your authors um 
the contribution you mean the contributors yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah well we we invited some and and we, we we spread a call for papers also so it's it's a, it's a it's a combination of you know looking for people who've been doing research into that and inviting also people to whether they would be interested and we were really surprised by the the different cases that came in and uh, it's it's what i hoped it would be is you know, there's so many volumes of there in, in the academic world, I needn't tell you, so many volumes of uh, are compiled and 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 you know they 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 contain texts that have at times they contain texts that have little to do with each other, but somehow we we kind of managed to bring together I think a very a very coherent book on very different cases. So I I'm can I say that I'm pleased with. You should. Yes, you can. And you should. You should be very pleased with this. Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, is this your first edited volume? No, no, it isn't. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, so perhaps that helped. But I mean, I think that our listeners need to know that you you have this idea. You're like, oh, this will be fun. <laughs> like this you know i just i just went to this conference or i'm really interested in this this will be fun i'll have this great conversation and it's actually you know often not fun <laughs> no it isn't <laughs> no um i will uh, let's uh, can i say that i will never compile a book again <laughs> no, no no it's not true but um the, the, the more i am in this in in the more the more experienced i am in research the more i'm I grew skeptical also of certain things in, in academia. You know, when you make a book, when you compile a book, make it a good one. Just yes. take time. Let Convince your contributors that there is a certain idea that you want to not, you don't force them into oh. developing an idea they, they can't share, but make sure that, you know, what, what your stakes are, what you think um, you want to argue, and then let them do their studies and look at it again and see how it matches and ask them kindly to return to certain things, not to change their arguments, but to mm. to kind of be more part of, of, a, of a, a central question. And I think that worked very well. So if you take mm. all the if you take all the trouble or time uh, to compile a book with different contributors who have different views and who write different kind of limited agendas and time for that still you need to insist and in the end you have a beautiful book and not just yeah. a combination of, of people who've written you know written quickly something it's it's it takes time i know that sounds very naive Jana, but no, in, in no. german they say there's this phrase wenn schon denn schon if you do it then try to do it well <laughs> And yeah, I think I, I, this. I get that. Yeah. And I'm very, very pleased with um, with all the chapters and the cases and the nuanced and profound way people, uh, you know, kind of worked on a certain case. Whether it's it's um, this remarkable Polish, a French Polish princess, or whether it's the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine, which everyone thinks they know, mm -hmm. but still, you see here the picture that you get here is still somewhat yeah. different. Um, um, whether it's it's about you know the case of Charlotte of Wales or all these cases stand on themselves, but I think they fit into the horizon of you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this, they do. You did a great job. It's that is remarkable about this volume is the amount of material and women I'd never heard of. I did not know about Charlotte of Wales, um, nor this Polish, the French no. Polish women. That was wonderful. 
Um, but but there is this unified theme throughout, which I think is it's really well done, and it's not easy to achieve in an edited volume. Um, so, do you have a favorite? I, <laughs> in, uh, among my contributors and contributions, because you don't have to answer. No, that's a bit of an, um, I'm actually I'm pleased with all of them, um, mm-hmm. and 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 I'm, I'm um, I know that people have been. I, I guess that contributors not were not always pleased when I when I kind of knocked at the door again and asked them to could you please have a look at that or could you think or contemplate this or that but in the end it's worth um, insisting. But I can I instead of saying I don't have a favorite something is not something what struck me and and I, that's um, reading through these cases which I didn't know myself and I was really interested also in all the information I got here. Um, is this 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 biopolitical element? This um, these histories. The, the what struck me afterwards. I never thought about it before. But the the, the histories of these queens is always a, this horrible history of procreation. Um, of of um, um, I think women. I should be a different book. But I think the female sovereigns. When you read through their lives, um, they are forced into. Um, in, into the dynastic system, which means uh, procreating, you know, overcoming the fact that they are female rulers and they should, uh, as soon as possible, be a male ruler. Um, and for that, they have to be pregnant the whole time and consistently and produce children. And th- that kind of came out as a second story. And I, it, it's really harrowing how these individual ruling women were subjected to making you know giving birth and being pregnant the whole time to the point of destruction it's really yeah. horrible and i'd never thought about that before reading all these cases hmm. yeah that's um it it is harrowing is exactly the word too because it's um, childbirth remains dangerous it certainly was then yes and to imagine to have to like do this job this incredibly important job and then once a year be kind of knocked out for a couple months you know yeah, you know, in 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 you know, you are a queen, and you are on the level, um, social level of being the most important person in the world, and you should be treated. You should expect that you get medical treatment in whatever terms medical means in in throughout history. You would get the best treatment, but um, you know, it's just taking the example of Queen Anne, um, who had, I think, 17 pregnancies and, and childbirths in, in 15 years' time. Uh, Marie Theresia of Austria, who had, I think, 14 children. And they, they just, it just, uh, yeah, it's harrowing. Yeah. It is. It's, uh, it, it just defies understanding at this it point. It does, right? and and it's some it's a detail that you don't look at um, normally when you read through lives. But once you start counting and you start counting the number of years and what, how these women were indeed knocked out, um, but it destroyed their health. It, it, it destroyed them in the end, and and that is really something fascinating. And um, mm-hmm. I might might be this biopolitical element might be mm-hmm. food for thought or for for a next book. <laughs> I'm de- yeah, I'm interested. So um, a pair of questions then. I've taken up uh, quite enough of your time, but I'm just, uh, will you do another volume, do you think? Maybe this bio? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued. Um, yes, I, th- I think I might pursue this. Um, and and uh, what, I, what I've found interesting is this, this, this 
mix of this proximity of, as I mentioned at the outset of our conversation between uh, imagination, imagined women and, and, you know, kind of reality in which imagination has such strong impact and which then makes women act in a certain way. Yeah, I think I'll, yeah, there are several ideas I have on that. Um, um, right. I'm also very interested in, in uh, again, uh, that's not part of the book, but contemporary imaginations of women in historical movies and and, and uh, plays oh, yeah. and, and, you know, fictionalized biographies. And so, because as mm-hmm. you know, you would be surprised at the amount of um, the persistency of, <laughs> of women uh, rulers, um, you know, the idea of awkwardness of women rulers and sovereigns and in, in contemporary imaginations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is fully anecdotal, but it does seem like there's some new Elizabeth, like, Netflix special every 10 to 20. Oh, yes, absolutely. And minutes. what you then, yeah. what interests is then is, of course, the, um, what, what it, what fascinates contemporary audience to, um, uh, in in the lives of historical queens is of course not their statesmanship but their their erotic lives or their you know their the intrigues at the court or and, and these are very these are very trite ideas of women in power as you know that they would be um power is uh, in in happens in their private bedroom or whatever and and that is something that is very much alive it's a fascinating element of course but uh um Women as women rulers must be jealous of each other. Or um, mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of Rosie Burke's Mary Queen of Scots movie. Two years ago, yeah. it came out. Yeah, I was surprised to see you know how Mary is revealed as the young, fresh woman, and, and Elizabeth as the old, jealous, wanted mm-hmm. wanting to be pregnant woman. And and you're like really surprised at how these things live on. Yeah, you know, and the and the hypersexuality as yes. as uh, which yeah, was contemporary but continues. Um, well, and it, it's also once again, women cannot possibly attain or maintain power in a legitimate fashion. So no, because they are private creatures and they're driven, propelled by mm-hmm. all kinds of private emotions and and sexuality and yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Hard. <laughs> I, I am on. I'm as the kids say. I am here for it. I am on board. I will definitely want to read it, and we can we can talk about it. We can do this again. Uh, I would love that. So, is that is that what's next? Is that what you're working on right now? Um, I'm working. I'm contemplating this idea of imagined women in in contemporary f- movies, and and this is one thing. And then you you end up going back to to historical reality in in, in uh, doing that anyway because you this is very naive but you need to check a few things and see how certain stories come about or when they started um being dominant so this is one thing i'm doing the other thing is um i'm also returning to my women writers and intellectuals and, I, and i'm i'm because this is a, something that i've been doing also uh to kind of work on forgotten uh intellectuals mm-hmm. writers and look at their work and see how um you know and and see what i can save or can you know, drag over into our contemporary uh, you know in into uh, the present uh, and I'm, I'm i'm working this is i'm preparing an article on rosa luxemburg as a political thinker and meet um and the way a specific way of how she how she does politics. Uh, we all know her as as a communist mm-hmm. leader, but she had a very particular way of dialoguing in her in her um, mm-hmm. in her uh, 
political thinking her political thinking is always a dialogue in, and and she's been a, she 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 wrote an enormous amount of letters because she she was always talking to people and that kind of dialoguing style um i want to show how 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 she did that so i'm working on something on rosa luxemburg and i'm also working on the the german Jewish philosopher and writer Margarete Zussmann, whom you mentioned at the outset, mm -hmm. who is a, someone who wrote the first ever uh, scientific scholarly essay on Kafka, who has been forgotten since. So I'm kind of looking, delving into her work too. So oh, different fabulous. trajectories. That's exciting. Fantastic. <laughs> ah, well, Anke, thank you so much. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. Oh, no, um, thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for joining me. And I am serious. We will talk again. And, uh, you know, we're not far apart. So next time you find yourself in, uh, in Amsterdam, give me a call. Okay, I will. Okay, thanks a lot. <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. <laughs>